Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and I'm so excited today. One of my dear friends in coaching, Lenny Akoff, the new head coach of Lipscomb University in Nashville, Atlantic Sun member and a NIT finalist this year is our guest. And Lenny and I have been friends for years. Uh, one of the best teachers in the game. He's a faculty member of Coaching You. And I think you're going to see from his insights into coaching, running a program, He's one of the most innovative people I know offensively, but how he shares, it's an incredible inspiration for anyone in coaching, whether you're starting out or whether you've been in it 30 years like he has. So I think you're really going to, after this time out, I think you're really going to enjoy Lenny and all he has to share. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Let's meet our newest sponsor, Max One. Max One is the all-in-one coaching app that allows you to bring your team to train, communicate, and stay organized all in one easy-to-use spot. One thing I love about Max One is the convenience of every feature. You can easily create individualized workouts for each player on your team with videos attached 
to each workout and deliver them to your athletes' phones, eliminating spreadsheets and paper handouts. Staying true to being an all-in-one platform, the communication features really can't be beat, giving you the ability to send messages to athletes, coaches, and even parents with the touch of a button. Calendars can also be loaded into Max One, allowing you to organize your program with color-coded schedules and events. With my experience as a coach, I know the importance of the athlete-coach connection. Max One gives any coach at any level a way to start showing up where athletes are spending up to six hours a day with their eyes fixed on their phone. I was blown away by not only the number of tools offered by Max One, but the seamless ease of use. After talking with the Max One team, I can tell they share that my same passion for helping coaches and athletes get better. With a team of former coaches and athletes, Max One brings valuable expertise to a place of need in the coaching community. I've seen the value of Max One can bring to your program. I wouldn't want you to miss this awesome platform. To see if Max One would be a good fit for your program, head to their website at gomaxone.com and schedule a free 15-minute demo with a Max One program specialist. Mention that Coach Brendan Sir sent you and receive a special 10% off if you decide to purchase this already affordable platform. Again, visit www.gomaxone.com right now to schedule your free demo and you won't be disappointed. Remember, gomaxone.com. Hey, this is the coach Brendan Sir with a, another edition of our Coaching You podcast and one of my absolutely favorite people in the world, Lenny Akoff, the new head coach of Lipscomb University, is our guest. Lenny, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Really an honor, and I'm excited to share and, and visit a little bit. Well, you know, um, uh, taking our listeners back several years uh, when we first got together uh, in a small middle school gym in the summertime in August, uh, or maybe it's late July, uh, through our friend Stan Cabbage down there uh, just outside Winter Park in Orlando where we were visiting. And uh, he said, I got this guy. He's going to really teach you some basketball. And he says, you got to come by. And I'm like going, yeah, it's like 96 degrees out there. You know? <laughs> and he says, no, I just want you to come by. And then I walk in the gym and there's Jeff Turner, the coach of Lake Highland, who's played with me for the Magic. And then there's my buddy, Doc Rivers, who played for me with the Hawks, who's the head coach of the Celtics then. And and who's this guy that's going to working with these, you know, what were they, 13-year-old players? Yeah, like sixth or seventh grade. <laughs> and, yeah. and we're saying High-level basketball right there. And now. Doc looks at me, and I said, I have no idea what we're doing here. And Stan then starts the clinic, and uh, – and I'll tell you what, it was two of the best hours of learning Doc and I ever had. It was so much fun to share and exchange ideas and stuff like that. It's one of those moments I'll never forget. Well, that's nice of you to say. It was an honor, and and uh, you know how much I respect you, and I actually had a conversation with someone about you today that just the respect you have worldwide is, I hope you know, it's significant, and I'm just thankful to call you my friend. Well, you know, the biggest thing that we, you know, that we both try to do is we try to keep learning. And we didn't just try to keep sharing. And uh, and you have been amazing to so many coaches in the profession that you mentor 
a lot of young coaches like you know one of our favorites Bob Ritchie uh and and also at Furman and you know and then you know you're exchanging ideas with the likes of the Steve Donnies the John Beelines and so many other guys and uh how did, how did you ever get into that habit because I say that only because uh, and football and basketball, unfortunately, a lot of coaches, I, I, I hate to use this word, but are paranoid. And they think that they are sitting atop the world's biggest securities, you know, or, you know, thing from NASA or, you know, our yeah. government that it's a secret that no one else knows. I, I don't get it. No, I, I think, and this will be, I guess, my 30th year coming up as a, as a college head basketball coach. And, the most meaningful thing in my career has been relationships. Yeah. And I think that's why when people go recruiting, when you go to the final four, there is, as you know, Brennan, you know, even much better than I, there is a shared kindredship that you can't explain in coaches. And a lot of times it's shared suffering. Uh, <laughs> I always say, but for the grace of God, go I, you see guys that have really been hurt because of the profession that have lost jobs and, I, I just, it, there's been so many people that have been good to me. I mean, really, really good to me. And I've said, if I was ever in a position to help anyone, I want to do that. I would love to have the ability to try to help. And, you know, and particularly young guys that um, sometimes they, sometimes they can get big timed. Uh, I call mm-hmm. them guys that are looking over their shoulder all the time to see who else they can talk to. Uh, I sure don't ever want to be that way. I, I want to be a, a person that's um, realizing that I, I was raised to understand that you're no better than anyone and no one's any better than you. And so that's how I try to live. And I've been so fortunate to get to meet so many neat guys. And what what is awesome about it is when you get to know some of the people that you and I have shared basketball with, they're just really good folks. Mm-hmm. And, and that really is so refreshing. And the people that I've enjoyed spending time with and talking basketball with, they've just been super to me. And, and I feel like I absolutely have an obligation to try to help other people. Now, when you're at, you know, you've had unreal success at Alabama Huntsville, you know, one of the top D2 programs in the country year after year. Uh, and, you know, when you're at that level in a really, really hard league, the Gulf South Conference is an incredibly tough conference. And uh, and and you you put your team together. D2 basketball is ridiculously hard, uh, harder than a lot of D1 programs, uh, conferences, in my opinion, because of that you can get players transfers from the D1 level. And you can have, you can, it's like going to NBA free agency. You can put a team together in the spring and be, you know, national quality team after having a terrible year the year before. You chose to build your program differently. Why and how did you build it? Yeah, I, I think wherever you coach, there's always has to be a overriding purpose and you have to know what the niche is at that school. Um, at Huntsville, uh, extremely, extremely strong academic school, uh, big time engineering school. And when we, when we arrived there 22 years ago, they'd had some bumps in the road getting it going because when you're at an academic institution like Huntsville in a division at the division two level, where most of the kids that, that are really the, the best players a lot of times are transfers, that didn't really work there. So we said we had to come up with our own niche, our own way of doing things. And, and what we decided to do was go with, probably 99% kids being high school kids 
kids that we could redshirt. And and we really just, we worked on the mantra of we're a developmental program. We're going to bring kids in that maybe the lower level division ones, mid-level division ones passed on because a kid has has a physical uh, deficiency. He's not quite strong enough. He's not quite quick enough. And we try to bring that kid in and redshirt him. And then by the time he plays in his second year, you've really addressed that deficiency. And so, and then what happens is you look up in 24 months and you got a player that everybody wants to know how you, how you were able to get him to come to your school. <laughs> and it's real simple. Nobody else wanted him. And, and so we, we took a lot of pride in that. Um, and that's just how we built it. And the other thing it did for the most part, we had a year or two, we hit a few bumps in the road, but for the most part, we never got young. Um, even my team last year that was one of my favorite teams I've ever coached, we had we won 24 games, and, and our three leading scorers were sophomores. We only had one senior on the team. But all th- uh, of the 10 kids that played, nine of them had redshirted. And so even though they're sophomores, they'd been in college for three years. Uh, actually, one of the kids was sophomore. We didn't, but he's the one out of 10 we didn't redshirt. And so you had a chance to have a mature team. Uh, you had a chance to have a team that was really, uh, really invested in your system and your style of play. And that's what we decided to do. And I, I told the guys that worked with me all the years, and I've had incredible assistant coaches, incredible. As I said, let's don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And, and we're going to do the same thing here at Lipscomb. I mean, I know it's going to be a very difficult and long, hard task here, but we can't worry about what everybody else is doing. We have to do what we think is in our best interest and what aligns with our institution. I've never, I, I I think I've coached 14 years in college. I don't think I've ever had a player redshirt, being honest with yeah. you. Okay. Uh, and so how do you even go about approaching it with the young man? Well, we, we tell them first off, we don't make anyone redshirt. But we would never make them do that. If they don't think that's what they want to do, that's fine. But we do try to be honest with them, you know, after three or four weeks of practice, you can call them in and say, okay, this is where we are right now. Now, this there, it could be fluid. There could be some movement. But you're the 12th guy. Gotcha. We are not going to play 12 people. And what you could do is you could take this year and you can really work. And we can use this almost as a sabbatical to, to have a chance for you. If you all you to work on is your game and be on the scout team and just get better and, and also get a year under your belt academically. And or we'll pl- you can play. You don't have to redshirt, but you're not going to have opportunities. And and so most of the kids we had really bought into that. And they knew obviously when you've been somewhere a long time, you have a running start at it. Mm-hmm. And and they knew that if they came there, there was a high probability that's what they were going to um, be asked to do or, or be um, that would the, in their best interest would be to redshirt. And we both know that most kids that come into college aren't ready to play college basketball. Oh, oh my goodness, no. And, you Physically know, and particularly at the Division Two level, Brendan, most of the – a lot – not most. A lot of the kids that are really, really good players, they may be 23, 24 years old. Yeah. And, I mean, you're getting a kid that's 18 and you're expecting him to compete with a, <laughs> with a grown man. That that usually doesn't work. No. And so it was our niche. It doesn't make it right or wrong for anyone. It's just what we thought we needed to do. And, and, and what we were able to do, too, we had a high buy-in. Um, we had a history of guys that had done that that could come back to those guys and say, hey, I did that. It was a tough year, but it was the best thing I ever did. Then, because you have high academic kids, a lot of those kids are able to get graduate work done. We had several kids that had that received their master's degrees wow. before they walked out of there. and So it, it was just our way of doing things. It's not perfect, but it, it was the right thing for that situation. 
I think it's a brilliant idea. And when you tried that at Lipscomb also? Possibly. Well, we actually were in a staff meeting this morning, not, not right out of the shoot, sure. but, I, but I do think that, you know, a lot of times for class balance, roster balance, um, if you have a kid that may be in his best interest, it, that will not be our plan here, not at all. But w- but if we do get a kid that we think has a high upside that maybe needs to develop physically or whatever, or, he, or he's behind two really good players, we would have the same approach. We'd say, you, you don't, you're not going to have to redshirt. But if you really want to be impactful your your senior year, when you would instead of playing three or four minutes as a freshman and losing a year, why why wouldn't you want to have a fifth year senior year where you're playing thirty? And so we're going to see how it all plays out here. You know, I think when you take a new job, you really have to get your bearings and try to do the best you can in a quick time to get a lay of the land. But it's probably going to take me a whole year to get a feel for how it really. I'd like to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, Casey Alexander did an amazing job here. You know, they won 29 games last year, got to the finals of the NIT, won the, got in the NCAA tournament the year before. Um, so, and I, and I, I, I would be remiss if I don't understand that success has footprints. I mean, we, we, we really need to make sure we're looking at what they've done and, and we're going to try to keep a lot of things in place. Oh, I don't blame you. Sure. No, Casey's a terrific coach. Lenny, you're known uh, around the game as one of the great offensive innovators and teachers. How did that all develop for you? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't feel that way. But that's nice of you to say. <laughs> I, 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 I do think again, people being willing to share. Um, one of the most significant things that happened to me was was I coached a young man named Tristan Tillett, and his dad was Jimmy Tillett, who yep. used to be the coach at Sanford. And anybody that listens to this that knows anything about Jimmy Tillett, I don't know if I've ever been around a better basketball mind. Um, Jimmy had amazing success there, and he was the first person that kind of got inside the Princeton offense outside of the Princeton circle. Um, and his son played for me, and, and we started watching that. And I said, I like this, I like that. Well, then – we went, we went completely in the Princeton stuff, but now we've always done it very differently in that we do it really fast. I mean, we score a lot of points and I always say you can play as fast as you want or as slow as you want in it. And that's what I like about it. And, but we did that for eight years and then I felt like the league was catching up with us. Sure. And, uh, I felt like they became a think tank. You know, when you stay somewhere a long time, there becomes a very overriding purpose. When you play this team, this is what you do. And we watch Stetson guard Florida Gulf Coast. Well, I like that. We need to do that when we play them. Well, I saw Florida Gulf Coast do this to Liberty. That's what we need to do. And it becomes more difficult. So I was fortunate enough. I, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of guys who were in Coach Beeline's circle. Uh, and I, I had an opportunity. He came down to recruit a kid out of Huntsville, and he brought his staff. And we spent two days just talking basketball. And so then I learned the two-guard stuff, the Coach Beeline stuff. And um, we shared ideas and I went up there the next year and stayed a couple of days and watched them practice and the staff meetings. And, um, and then we just kind of made that kind of our default, our walk up, our special situation, a walk up offense was two guard offense that would evolve to some default. But there's been so many people that we steal from. And, and so the words I always use are just try to stay one step ahead of the posse. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we don't want, we always want to be evolving. We always want to be changing. We, we were sharing last night in the staff meeting that we, we did some things this year that we've never done. I mean, we, we put it in the second semester and it really helped our team. Yeah, right. And, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. So it just, I think for us, it's just, you know, I said, ultimately to me, good offense is getting our best players, good shots. You know, one of the, one of the things, Lenny, that I've been researching uh, is no different than academics is that I think, you know, when you're at the collegiate level and certainly at the pro level, you're working with very gifted players. And I think if you don't keep advancing the learning, what, what I think happens is they get bored and, you know, you lose engagement with them. And so I think, you know, just like when you said in the second semester, you put some new stuff in, it was like all of a sudden second semester class or taking a new course. And I think they get excited by that. It, it was great for us. And, you know, there's two thoughts on that. One is I think the players, the players want to know two things. Do you care about me and can you make me better? Yes. I think that's the two things they want to know. And so we try real hard to, to show them that we care about them and not just in our words, but with our actions and not just on basketball, but in every other life. And the other thing is we work real hard to try to make them better, not just as basketball players, but as people. And that's been our philosophy all the way through. And, and, you know, I've had a lot of people say, well, well are you going to do the same things at Lipscomb that you did at Huntsville? I said, one day I hope we can, but, we inherited eight kids, uh, four that, that had signed or committed that we've been able to keep, and we're really excited about that, and we're, we're going to sign one more. We're going to play this year and however long we need to in a way that plays to our team's strengths. Like we, I, there's not, the only thing we want to be married to is having a chance to win. And so whatever's the best thing for our team this year is how we're going to play. This is not about me or some type of system. This is about trying to help the 13 guys on our basketball team have a chance to succeed. And so I think sometimes you can, we need to do what's best for our players, not what's best for me or my ego. I think that's huge. I think that I think so many coaches don't do that, frankly, because they don't work on their game as much as they need to, to adapt and have other things to do other than what they know and have been doing. And I think, you know, playing to people's strengths is absolutely huge. I love that. That's what we're going to try to do, and you know, and and that we're going to we're going to have some bumps in the road, and but you, you but I, I really, I just think at the end of the day, you, you need to know what you're looking for, and if and are we able? What's the what is what is our end result? What is our finish line? And we, we I'm not really worried about how we get there. I don't want to worry about artistic impression. I don't want every coach to come and say, "Oh my gosh, they do all these amazing things." All I want is good shots for our best players, and a lot of them. When did you make the decision? Uh, I remember you did this at Coaching U, which was phenomenal in Orlando years ago. When did you decide to really, I know you play very, to really play fast. When did that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because the Princeton offense and, and when Pete Carrill went to the NBA, they played fast using it. Uh, yes. You know, and Eddie Jordan, you know, he played fast using it. Byron Scott played fast using it. Uh, but how did when did you decide to, to, that um tempo was better than uh, maybe controlling the ball and playing slower? Yeah, I, I, the, well, I tell you what happened to us. Uh, you know, the pack line defense became a huge piece to a lot of people's defensive yeah. mindset scheme, and I felt like we, our, we, for many years we would run on misses and walk on makes, and it just I felt like we were just playing against a loaded defense every time down. And I just said, well, what if we just get it up court real quick, getting the best concept we can find, and just move the ball? And and, and I tell our guys, you know, I'm a baseball guy. You know, my son's a baseball player. The best pitch in baseball is strike one. 
It doesn't matter if it's a curveball, fastball, changeup. The best pitch in baseball, strike one. Well, we want to we want to get strike one. We want to get ahead of the defense. We want to get. We say let's try to get them distorted in the first six seconds. You know, Coach Shied, I, I was in a clinic with him, and we talked about winning the first six seconds both ways. And we really would like to try to get an advantage, find the best concept we can. And then let's move the ball. And really, we say play simple, fast, free, and disciplined. And if we can do that, it usually works out pretty good. So what we tried to do is just understand if we can run without throwing it to the other team, then there's really no reason not to run. And 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 it's been really good for us. And I think the other thing, when you talk about pace, I think most people equate that with, well, that means we're fast-breaking. Well, that is part of playing with pace. I think you can play with tremendous pace in the half court. I don't think you have to slow down. That's when you want to – now we can really start moving. And so we've tried to make our pace 94 feet and and emphasize that last 50 feet as much as we do the first 47. That You know, that's really – I think, uh, you know, people, you know, unfortunately, uh, as our friend, mutual friend Bob Ritchie says – too many uh, coaches think going to a clinic now is what play they see on Twitter, you know, for free or, yeah. uh, you know, or, you know, on, you know, on pick and pop or something like that and say, oh, man, that, that's an offense for me. Or they watch an NBA game and say, oh, wow, look at James Harden coming off there. Let's play like that. And we both know that that's, a, that's not a good thing. And I, I see too many teams standing around not moving mm-hmm. at all in the half court. And if you're loaded up in a pack line, it's the easiest thing to defend. But if you move, and really, ball and player, it's a huge advantage. And so I think there's a misunderstanding. by, And it's hard to teach and, and, and hard to coach. But you know what? That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. When, when you, You've been coaching 29 years at the D2 level. Mm-hmm. And I know you were ready. You were ready several years ago for some really good jobs that you should have gotten. Okay, did you ever feel the day was going to come? Uh, you know, it, it's funny, Brendan. A lot of people have asked me that, and they said, well, you know, you're there 22 years, and, and Huntsville is absolutely one of the best Division two jobs in the country. It's home. It's where I grew up, and I, I, I just honestly, I got to the point where. If, if, if you're 50 years old and you think the same way you did when you're 20, you've wasted 30 years. And I, I just didn't even worry about it. I, mm-hmm. I felt like that if it was supposed to happen, it would happen. Um, I know this, some of the absolute best coaches I've ever seen at any level coach at the Division two, the Division three, and I think the best teachers are in high school. And I, I, so I just almost uh, tried to eliminate any thought process of that. Um, and really the only time I ever thought about it was if somebody called and asked and said, hey, would you have interest in this job? And But, yeah, there was many times I thought I would finish there. And I promise you when it was all over, I would have went down a happy man. Sure. The, 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 this going and, and uh, having the opportunity to coach at Lipscomb is not about it being – yeah, I mean, obviously, there's things about coaching at Division One that excite me, and it's something I always thought, well, I would like to do that, but I wouldn't have wanted to do it in somewhere I didn't think was a good fit for me or the people I was working for. Um, I felt like with Lipscomb, there was alignment uh, when I visited with our president, Dr. Lowry, when I visited with athletic director, Philip Hutchinson, that 
I felt like what they were, what their vision for what it could be is what I, the way I would like to do it. You know, you and I both have sat with uh, administrators sometimes and you just have to look at them and think, there's no way I can coach here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way I can do it that way. It doesn't make them wrong. It just doesn't fit me. And, and I felt like Lipscomb was a place that there was a lot of alignment, a shared value system. And I thought that, that we could recruit in very much the same way we did at Huntsville. Um, we'll see, you know, I, I, I say a lot, there's two types of coaches. It's those that are humble and those that are about to be. And, and, and I've been on both sides of it. I promise you. And, and it's going to be difficult. And, and I know I don't have all the answers at all. And that's why I've tried to hire staff that can, you know, I think we all have to have self-awareness and know where are your blind spots, where are your holes. And I've tried to bring in guys that can help me with that and guys that have recruited at this level but also can really coach and that, you know, just have the opportunity to have five guys on your staff and that are very experienced and, and that have done it at this level. I think that's going to, I would be remiss if I don't listen to everything they have to say. So um, I know that's a long witted answer, but I think if you start worrying about levels and all that, I think you're diminishing the opportunity you have because to coach at any level, because every kid you coach is their one shot at it. Every single year is their one chance. So I think if you've got one foot out the door, you're thinking about the next job. I don't think that's fair to the kids. Bob Starkey, you know, uh, who I'd love to learn and read from and uh, one of the really neat things. And, you know, he's a Don Meyer disciple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- we got a chance to work together at UCF. He was on the woman's side, obviously, and but he was right down the hall. So it was like I was going to grad school, you know, every day I'd mm-hmm. go down there and Donnie Jones would say, hey, where'd Brendan go? <laughs> oh, he's down there with the women's team again, you know. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and... And the thing Bob Bob taught me, you know, because he was on Dale Brown's staff uh, here at LSU, and he said, Brendan, coaching's coaching. It doesn't matter if it's Division One, Two, Three, and it doesn't matter if it's men or women. And I and it was one of really more insightful things I've ever picked up. And I think he's so true because uh, my experience playing at the D two level has been my coach was the best the teams we played against were amazingly well coached and so i am of the same belief of you but when when you your philosophy you know you're a faith-based guy and you're a values Mm -hmm. guy the big thing now uh every time you take over a job whether it's you at lipscomb us at stetson or any other people there are mickey cronin at ucla they're everything saying well you know the first thing we're going to do is we're gonna we're gonna not change the culture but get our culture now you have a great culture there already okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know what, what you know you had an incredible culture and environment at Huntsville how does that happen for a coach that's trying to establish that yeah I, I think that's a great question and it's something that I when, when I'd been there 22 years and and we had been very fortunate to have some really good teams but the thing that we were more proud of was our program than our teams. And and there would be teams that come in there to play us. And, and you know, you have a lot of good friends that coach. They say, well, man, y'all have this and you have that. And how do you do this? And, and that's not being self-promoting. We were really blessed. But I said, 22 years, one handshake, one lunch, one relationship at a time. 
<laughs> 22 years. And it does not happen overnight. Like we, we you know, it, don't, it doesn't matter what job you take over, whether it's Stetson, Central sure. Florida, UCLA, LSU, there's going to be some things that when you do a needs analysis is going to need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but you can't do it all at once. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to have pace to how you work. You have to work smart. Um, and I think you have to have a plan. And, you know, and you talk about the culture, and, and I said this in my press conference, you know, I, I've got a good friend, Charlie Brock, that coaches at Springfield College. I mean, that's James Naismith's school. Mm-hmm. And I always say, I've, I've told him, I said, I can't imagine what it would be like to coach at Springfield College where basketball was invented. I mean, what a cool thing. And, mm-hmm. but, but when, when I was offered the opportunity to be the basketball coach at Lipscomb University, and I get to coach the same place Don Meyer coached, I think he's the greatest teacher that ever lived of the game. I, I, I mean, I came to his camps as a young kid. I, I, I coached against him. I had two players on my high school team play on his national championship team. And I used to just sit at his feet and listen. And and there's so many things that we wow. built our program on at Huntsville based on what I learned from him when he was here at Lipscomb. And so I, it's a real honor for me to do that. And the culture here started many, many, many years ago with him. I just felt like it's my job to try to honor that, to try to honor what Casey Alexander and the team, the, the team these last two years have done. And, and, and understand this is not about me. And, but a culture, I think it's impossible to have culture if you think team over program. That's, that's really powerful. You know, what about the idea of, you know, as a, as a coach, the, the definition of coach for you is, you know, you're a teacher first, correct? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, 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 and the importance of leadership, you know, everyone says, oh yeah, we have great leadership. What is leadership, you know, for Lenny Akoff? What, what is that about? Well, I think for me, leadership is empowering others to be the best they can be. That, that, that's all I want. I, we had a, I've, I hired two new assistants yesterday and I met with them last night and I said, all I really want is to help you be the best version of you you can be. That's it. That's all I want to do. I want I, you can get whatever you want out of life if you help other people get what they want. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, in leading others, I just want to be a resource that can help. And but I do think when you lead, and I told them last night, I said part of that is having the ability to be honest and to say, okay, because I care about you, I care enough to tell you this. And I think sometimes we think leading is being a cheerleader. I, I, I don't think that's it. I think leading leading is having the ability to empower others to grow, develop. And at the end of the day, I asked both of them last night, I said, ultimately, what's your end game? What do you want to do? And they told me, and I said, okay, then let's work really hard here together to try to help you be able to attain those goals. And it's just helping others get to where they want to go. One of the things that I've, you know, when you have too much free time like I do, Lenny, is one of the things that I've found. You had free time. You no longer have free <laughs> Thank time. Thank you, sir. Don't, I appreciate that. One of the things that I've really really come upon is that the really best coaches that I know, the most successful coaches, are phenomenal parents. Thoughts? <laughs> that's, that's a, well, boy, I tell you what, if I'm not good at anything, I sure wanted to be a good husband and Amen. a good dad. Amen. And, and you are. You yeah. know, I I share this with every clinic I speak at. I be, And I don't know if I'm any good or not, but I know this. I became a lot better coach when I had children. 
No doubt. No doubt. And because I tell people this all the time, if you don't think a coach is important, wait till one of your children gets one. And I, I always say, and I talked to a recruit about this week. I said, I'm going to treat you the same way I would want my son or daughter treated. That, I mean, like I have to look at that and say, what, what if that was my son? How would I want them treated? And, and I, I do think that understanding, I've had a lot of young assistants. When you're at the division two level, most of your assistants are going to be younger. Most of the time, no yep. children. And there would be times they would say things that, well, so-and-so's mom and dad didn't speak to me or so-and-so's mom and dad. And I'm not being critical of them. It's just they didn't understand. Parents are going to be passionate about their children, and they shouldn't apologize for that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm passionate about mine. And so you just have to understand that as a parent, that it hurts when you drive six hours to watch a game and your son or daughter doesn't get in. <laughs> If you're a coach and you don't understand that, I think you're being pretty narcissistic. Yes. It doesn't mean you should play them because they drove six hours, but you also have to understand that's tough for everyone. And so I think having that mindset of what if that was my child and and trying to make sure that I'm honest and proactive in my communication um, my wife and I, Kelly, have been blessed with two fantastic children, but it's hard. Raising children is really hard, as you know. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in today's world, there's so many things pulling against you. But I, I want the kids that play for me, I want their parents to know that they're never, and I told a dad this yesterday, you're never going to agree with everything I do, and that is fine. I said, half the time, I don't agree with what I do when it's over. But I said, I know this, you'll never be able to say that I didn't care and that I didn't want the best for your child. And and I want to treat them like that. So I, I do think as you get older and into coaching, you always say, boy, that, 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 that young man's got a mom, dad, that, that they're hurting. And, and, and also being able to enjoy when good things happen. I, I, I tell my own children, I, I'm, I'm always proud of you. I'm always proud of you. I'm just really happy for you when th good things happen to you. That that's not going to change, and I, that's what I want my players to understand that play for us. Is I'm I'm gonna we're gonna do the right thing, so you're gonna be accountable. We're gonna be proud of who we are, and when good things happen, I'm just gonna be be really happy for you. Yeah, and you know, and I I, I think you're so right on on that because I, I found out, you know, like for any young coaches out there, you know, when you when you get married, it's all about you and your wife. You know, it's all about you and your girlfriend Correct. when you're dating and all that stuff. But then all of a sudden when that little one comes in the world, it ain't about the two of you anymore. It's about that little one. And and now so I think that's that's so when you become a coach, it's not about you, the coach anymore. It's about the 12, 13 players you have. They're your other children. That they are. If if and if you lose sight of that, then you really, I think, yeah. you're heading down a tough road. And that's why I say you have to really be a good parent to be a good coach. Uh, from that standpoint, it's the same skill set. And Doc Rivers spoke at coaching you in Vegas last summer, and I drafted him. I coached him for eight years. He's got four great kids, and and he said he coached his son Austin, you know, with the Clippers, which was mm -hmm. so hard, and. He said, I learned something. I learned that all of a sudden the way to coach at the NBA college or high school, men's or women's team, is to coach every player like he's your own son or daughter. Amen. That's and what I'll I, tell I, you what, I, I, I couldn't as agree good more. As, as good as anything I'd ever heard. 
Yes. And, and this is the same thing, Lenny. Uh, you know, I really appreciate you sharing. I know things that are really, we've been trying to get together for a few weeks, but you know, yeah. you kept wanting to recruit more players and players so that when we see each other twice this year, you're not going to have any, you know, only time we're going to have a good time seeing each other and a great time is always competing, but I'm so happy for you. So happy for your family. You're going to be terrific at Lipscomb and they're very, very lucky to have you. Well, that's really nice of you to say. And, and I, I think that I, I'm honored to be here and I'm, I'm very thankful for your friendship and what you've meant to me because I'm learning every day from you. And, and, and I think as coaches, I think last thing I would like to say is that sometimes like I think competition makes us better. And I think we lose sight of that. And, um, I, I've talked to the coaches at Liberty, you know, they and Lipscomb had two great postseason runs. You know, Liberty wins the, wins a game against Mississippi State, Lipscomb gets to the finals of NIT. And we were sharing with one of the assistants, Lipscomb and, and, at Liberty, and he said, we would have not, not done as well if we didn't have each other this year. Hmm. We really had challenged each other to be better, and that prepared us for at the end. And the other thing is, you know, when we play you guys next year, you're going to want to win like crazy. Donnie's going to want to win like crazy. Sure. We're going to want to win like crazy. But when it's over, it's over. It, I, I think, you know, we have to take care of each other as coaches. It bothers me when I see it just become this unbelievable personal thing that it, I, I can't I can't operate like that. And I, I look forward to competition, and everybody wants to win, and no one should apologize for that. But at the end of the day, I think coaches need to take care of coaches. Lenny Acuff, you are an inspiration to me and to every coach, and I, and I really appreciate our friendship. I appreciate uh, so much that we get to share together, and uh, I'd look forward to this next chapter in both of our lives. So it'll be absolutely all right, Brent. Have a great day. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Lenny. Uh, I get so excited when I talk to guys like Lenny Akoff because he's a coach of coaches. He's all about the game. He's all about players, and uh, he wants each and every one of us to become the best version of ourselves. So. Uh, he's the kind of people that we have at Coaching You Live and an incredible faculty member who still, you know, his his video that we did in Orlando years ago on offense was still one of the most requested that we have. So I, I thank Lenny for sharing during this very busy time for him, but I thought it was important that we really get to visit because he's an inspiration to me and to all coaches. I want to remind you that, again, we're down to the last few weeks before we get to Coaching You Live. Uh, We're down to, you must register, go to coachingyoulive.com. It is now $3.99, and here's what we're getting. We're getting all the videos from all the speakers. You're having two meals with the speakers and all of our coaches there in a, a really good brotherhood type of atmosphere. Uh, we're getting uh, dry fit coaching you t-shirts, you're getting coaching you notebook. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's an experience that that's why we call it an experience. You're sitting courtside right up close. You can touch the speakers and, and, and it's learning at its ultimate. And I think it's one of the things that it's my most favorite thing of learning every year because I'm surrounded by the best of the best, the best NBA coaches, specialists of teaching the game that I can find, international coaches that just are going to share with us. So uh, make sure you come July 8 and 9 in Las Vegas. You want to make sure you register. So we'll see you then. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. 